is Jensen. Hi, this is Bobby Kamari, and I want to thank you for listening to season two of the Living in Light podcast, where the whole season is going to be dedicated to the fabulous topic of sacred sexuality. I hope it blesses your socks off. Hello, beautiful people. I actually cannot believe that this is literally my last teaching episode for season two. Like, wow. That's amazing because this has definitely been um, a labor of love. It's been hard. (laughs) I'm not even going to lie. Gosh, it's been so stretching and challenging, but I've just been so blessed with all that God has been able to release through these babies. And I'm just so thankful for every single precious one who allowed me to chat to them and share their heart, their convictions, experiences and their wisdom. And to every single one of you that reached out, got in touch and told me how these podcasts were affecting you and blessing you and so yeah I am so grateful I definitely feel the Lord's well done good and faithful servant as I record this final episode um, I mean I might still do a few more random interviews for this season but I definitely feel like I fulfilled the assignment that God had for me And in terms of teaching episodes, I definitely know that this is it. Yeah, so today I am going to be talking about finding restoration after encountering sexual brokenness and the role that I think um, the wider church body as well as individual Christians have the privilege and responsibility of playing and also If you haven't listened to the last episode with Stephen Hart, then you absolutely need to go back and have a listen because he shared what restoration um, has looked like for him on his own personal beautiful journey with God and it's super, super powerful. So do go and have a little listen to that if you haven't already. Okay, so let's just dive in. Um, Firstly, when I say sexual brokenness, what do I mean? Um, I am basically talking about places of anxiety, damage, fragmentation of the soul and personhood, emotional pain and wounding, guilt, shame and confusion, dysfunction because of issues relating to sexuality. And for us to effectively consider brokenness and really get it we need to circle back to sexual disorder because ultimately sexual brokenness is rooted in sexual disorder and so when we engage in sexual sin or we believe a lie about our sexuality we violate our very disposition as image bearers of God and we end up sinning against our own body which then leads to brokenness and fragmentation and deep wounds and often hidden turmoil within our soul and as a result a fragmented broken person is unable to give or receive love with complete abandon and they're unable to embrace the fullness of who they are as male and female And they're also unable to be fruitful and multiply according to the mandate that God gave to mankind in Genesis, where he said that we should be fruitful and multiply. And so a crucial aspect of being restored after sexual brokenness lies in the restoration of our original identity as image bearers of God. And I believe that freedom and wholeness comes when we irrevocably grasp deep within our being that we were originally and intentionally and divinely made in the image of God's love. And we were not only created by love, but in love, to love and for love and for a higher, purer love than we could ever imagine, one beyond our wildest dreams. 
And so it's important for us to truly understand that our sexuality is far greater than simply a physical or emotional need. It's deeply woven into who we are as image bearers of God. And that for us to live in the fullness of that identity, we must respond to God's invitation to receive his unconditional love in and through him. We must freely accept our identity as children of God, made in his likeness, and we must begin to walk in an experiential knowledge of this fundamental truth, where we live a life of actually experiencing his divine love, like we abide in it, we live and move in it, and have our being in this love of God. And it's only in God's love that we can know true freedom and true identity. And of course, there may be people who even without God have learnt to manage their sexual brokenness and have learnt how to overcome certain behavioral traits or places of frailty, but as functional and as effective as behavioral management might be, it's only with God and in God that anyone can truly be irrevocably free from brokenness. It's only in a relationship with God that we can be restored and not just to our original identity, but also to our God-given calling and purpose. And it's when we recognize just how loved by God we are, and when we understand what Jesus did for us at Calvary to set us free, and what Jesus is able to do for us now, that we find the hope, the strength, and the empowerment to actually live a life of radical love, free from pain and dysfunction. And no matter what our sexual past may have looked like, or whatever we might find ourselves currently involved in, and no matter what we feel, where we've been, what we've done, or who we've become, we can find love and true intimacy, restoration and wholeness in Jesus. So, whatever your story might be, whether you are a or were a hedonistic, promiscuous fornicator like me, who had multiple abortions and caused so much destruction, hurting so many people with my debauched behaviour, or whether you're an abuse victim, or a rapist, or a child abuser, or you're a compulsive masturbator, or you're an adulterer, a sex addict, a homosexual or you're frigid or plagued by confusion about your gender, whatever your pain might have looked like, Jesus can and will rewrite your history if you allow him into your brokenness, even if you are smack bang in the center of the struggle right now as you are listening to this. And there is no sin so deep that God cannot forgive and cleanse us from. If we confess our sins and turn away from them, putting our trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, and if we believe that Jesus died for our sins, redeeming us with his blood, then we can have a fresh start. If we put our trust in God's promises, which assure us that no matter what we do, he will never withhold his love from us, then we no longer have to carry the weight and guilt and shame of our sins, past, present, or future. Now, oh my gosh, that is such incredible news that like, this is why it's called the good news guys <sighs> and the crazy thing is that this kind of grace of god is what empowers us to then walk away from every enslavement and anything that falls short of god's best for us because when we actually consider the unfathomable price that jesus paid on the cross to set us free from every kind of dysfunction and the love that he lavishes on us despite our shortcomings like we are literally compelled to respond to this incredible divine love and we're compelled to love him back with the sweetest of abandon without reserve and when we begin to actually grasp the freedom and superior love that God has for us, we slowly begin to resist thought patterns and belief systems and behaviors or relationships that would interfere with this love. Like that's how my mindset changed. It was his love, you know, and 
we begin to willingly let go of counterfeit liberty and we begin to pursue true freedom and peace which can only be found in the love of God. Yet this transformation is a process which often takes time and let's keep it 100, it often also takes a lot of pain and it requires so much strength and patience and mercy and love and sometimes it's far too hard for an individual to navigate through alone and this is one of the reasons that I believe that this process of restoration after or even during sexual brokenness has to be a journey that the church must be willing to be part of not just for this sexually broken and deeply wounded generation but also if we as christians are to truly pursue the fullness of image-bearing identity for the body of christ where there is actually so much sexual brokenness that hasn't been dealt with and this is something that i have discovered firsthand like just you know being part of this ministry Um, And so how should the church, whilst totally honouring and valuing the incredible price that Jesus paid on the cross and without compromising the word of God, mercifully respond to those that are wanting to be free from sexual sin? How should we as followers of Christ respond to those that are turning to the church for help but not just freedom and deliverance and restoration but love and acceptance and at the same time how should the church respond to those who fail to even recognize that they're sexually broken or that there is sin in their lives or who willingly choose to remain in sexual disorder what should our posture be as the bride of christ I personally believe that it begins with the Church of Christ first and foremost leading by example and walking in complete wholeness because we ourselves must first be restored before we can help anyone else like we simply can't role model sacred sexuality or sexual wholeness if we as the body of Christ are walking in sexual dysfunction. And if we, as Christ's body, are too wounded or ashamed or uneducated or ignorant regarding true sexual freedom, then we can't complain when Christians and non-Christians alike seek their understanding of sexuality or their places of comfort from the world and not from the word. Nor is the church in any position to judge the world on their lack of morality if we ourselves are involved in pornography addictions, in child abuse, in homosexuality, in adultery, fornication and any other sexual sin. And if we have the same divorce rate as the world then we can't qualify as witnesses of powerful marriages. And if our marriages are not role modeling Christ-like love, longevity and loyalty, then who are we to judge same-sex marriages who, sure, they may be of the same sex, but at least they're monogamous and committed to one another. The bottom line is that the church will only impact society and fulfill the mandate to reform our culture and disciple nations when we powerfully and uncompromisingly demonstrate the love of God in our families, our workplaces, our neighbourhoods, our communities and our nations, through our own individual lives, through our own marriages, our own relationships. And I'm convinced that we can only truly impact society effectively when we boldly demonstrate God's love, his power, his purity and purpose through our lives, through our creativity, through our callings in every facet of society. And when we demonstrate love and true intimacy and sacred sexuality in every sphere of influence that we may have been given by role modeling it first and foremost in our own lives. And when we do this well, then we lead by example. And when we lead by example, we're able to influence culture And when we're able to influence culture, I believe we are able to disciple nations and influence generations. And like I heard Bill Johnson of Bethel Church say something along these lines in a sermon that he preached, 
that through the example of our own powerful and liberating lives, we're able to then awaken those around us into an encounter with who they really are designed to be as image bearers of God. And reflected in our own lives should be the deepest longings and awakening of the hearts of the non-believing world around us for love, for community and intimacy. And so as the church, it's so important that we stop concealing our own struggles with sexual sin or with sexuality in general. Instead, we've got to be transparent with our own sexual brokenness, refusing to live in shame or humiliation or torture or anxiety any longer. And we must, as the church, first seek true freedom. And as we invite those that are broken because of sexual struggles to be made whole, we must ensure that it's mercy triumphing over judgment. You know, I recently um, listened to a podcast from Moral Revolution. Um, I'll pop the link in the notes. Um, But it was about this couple who were in leadership whose marriage was impacted by porn for more than a decade um but the heartbreaking thing was that they never would have had to endure such a length of time in brokenness and dysfunction if the leaders that they had initially approached had loved them well and had been merciful to them and helped them through the process of restoration instead the leaders they confided in unfortunately ended up judging them and condemning the husband and literally butchered him they broke fellowship with him they removed him from leadership never gave him a chance to explain himself to the congregation um, or ask for forgiveness and even when some other leaders that they confided in responded more kindly it was by doing like some ritualistic ministry and then telling the wife that she is to release and forgive and never mention the porn or adultery ever again and so the situation between them was never actually resolved both the husband and wife remained in their own prisons and this couple continued on in their brokenness shame and dysfunction for years and ended up separating finally but it wasn't until someone actually demonstrated the love and mercy of God more than a decade into their marriage that his journey towards sexual restoration began and his wife's heart then was healed and restored and they were restored back as a family and gosh that's just not how I believe we should be dealing with sexual brokenness and like I'm sure those leaders meant well but condemnation and judgment is not how we are meant to respond when someone is struggling sexually or experiencing brokenness or in any place to be quite honest and even if someone is in sin where to be mad with the sin but merciful to the sinner and this is what it says in Jude um, 1 22 to 23 in the message translation it says go easy on those who hesitate in the faith go after those who take the wrong way be tender with sinners but not soft on sin the sin itself stinks to high heaven and so I do believe that we do need to be tender with those that are caught in sexual sin, helping them without endorsing the sin itself. And when we extend acceptance and mercy to someone caught in this lifestyle, we end up role modeling to the world around us and giving permission to others to also confess their sins and be set free. But if we condemn those that are struggling, then the lost and broken won't look for help in the church for fear of judgment and so we I believe must be a place that the broken will find strength and restoration in not a place where people will experience condemnation and Galatians 6 1 to 2 also tells us that um, brethren if a man is overtaken in any trespass you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
And so here we've got the Apostle Paul telling spiritual Christians in the church in Galatia to restore the broken. And this actual term, restore, refers to the way a broken bone is to be restored, gently and precisely. So helping to restore someone who is broken in sin should be done gently and with tenderness, not with carelessness or harshness or pride. Even if we are confronting or counselling or discipling or mentoring, gentleness is crucial. Now, obviously, this does not mean that we downplay the sin or we beat around the bush when it comes to biblical truth. And for me personally, I mean, there have been people in my own life that I have counselled when it comes to sexual sin, and I just need to keep it real and raw with them and be pretty no-nonsense with them because that's the only way that the truth will register. But even then, correction has to be brought sensitively and without crushing someone's spirit. And also, anyone who might be more spiritual shouldn't forget that any one of us is prone to stumbling and if it wasn't the grace of God any one of us could be in their place and also just because we might personally not be involved in sexual sin it doesn't actually qualify any of us to condemn others or think that we're super spiritual or superior or self-righteous on the contrary we're all dealing with our own junk you know the dysfunctions of our flawed nature in one way or another and God's undeserved mercy is actually graciously being outworked in each and every one of us so you know who are we to be pointing a finger at anyone and this same scripture that I've just read out it also teaches us to carry the burdens of those that are in sin and so this means to compassionately stand up beneath the heavy load of a brother or sister who cannot stand alone and when we do this we are fulfilling the law of Christ which is to love one another we must love like Jesus loved like church has to be a place of love of healing and hope for Christians who may have found themselves caught up in sexual sin or any kind of sin however it might have happened And again, I know from personal experience that you might have people who don't even really want to be set free, but they want you to carry their burdens, but they still want to sin. And in most cases, I don't think that you can help someone who does not want to be helped. But when someone is looking for that restoration and that deliverance and freedom, the church family has to be a place where Someone who is struggling can be carried and lifted up by those that are stronger in the faith. And this is why it's so important to have effective discipleship in place. And support and counselling and accountability and acceptance needs to be readily available for those that are struggling with sexual temptation or addictions or same-sex attractions or abuse, gender issues or issues such as abortion or, you know, other kinds of um, issues related to sexual sin. And obviously, professional help um, would be required in many cases. But as the church, we must be willing to get into the mess alongside the broken to support them through their process in the same way that we would want to be supported if we were the ones struggling. And this is something that I so need to grow in, you know, helping others that are struggling, being there, not picking my comfort over comforting someone else, you know. So I'm talking to myself as well as I am sharing this. Um, I also do want to chat about the church's response to the LGBTQ community because I feel that it is unfortunately the church's inability to authentically and mercifully come alongside someone battling with sexual sin, which is often where the church struggles to effectively be the solution to a sexually broken society, even to people in the church family who are struggling with sexual issues. Because as Christians, sometimes we can be so far removed from what's taking place in culture that we don't know quite how to empathize with someone who might be struggling with sexuality and who is longing for restoration particularly when it does come to the lgbtq community i think some christians find themselves intimidated by or perhaps lacking in compassion 
because it's a lifestyle so alien to them and for some it might just seem easier to connect with or counsel a heterosexual who's fornicating or involved in adultery or struggling with sexuality because it may not seem so unnatural to their understanding or frame of reference but the truth is that the pain and the struggle of a gay, a bisexual or someone wrestling with gender confusion is ultimately no different to any type of struggle with sexuality or with identity. And so however alien it might seem, I pray that we can learn how to embrace the LGBTQ community with love, respect and compassion, seeking to genuinely understand their journey and this is a prayer that I pray for myself that I would do this well and I would do it with authenticity because I do think that as followers of Christ it's important for us to deepen our understanding of the LGBTQ community otherwise how are we ever going to have compassion for anyone caught up in sexual orientation issues or gender confusion if we don't try and understand their journey and struggle and try and understand where they may be coming from and you know talking about transgender struggles like as i consider the recent rise of gender dysphoria and the transgender ideology i'm so aware that in our modern day society we are transitioning into a realm of social norms that are so radically contrary to scripture. And as a believer in Christ, like when I read Genesis 1.27, that we are made male and female in God's image, I cannot help but conclude that gender is settled before birth and it's determined by God for his plans and purposes. And I simply cannot distort biblical truth to suit modern culture. And so for me, the transgender ideology is a violation of our original assigned gender roles as image bearers of Christ. But that doesn't negate the very valid and heartbreaking torment that someone experiences when they feel trapped inside the body of a gender that they simply do not believe to be their own. And it doesn't erase the brokenness that drives the extortionate suicide rate among the transgender community. It definitely doesn't cancel out the unjust treatment, prejudice and ridicule that a teenager might have endured as they desperately try to navigate through childhood attempts to conform to behaviours associated with their assigned gender. It doesn't eradicate the mental anguish that I believe is at the very root of gender dysphoria and it doesn't remove the human right and desperate need for every single human being to be treated with love, dignity, equality and respect. And it doesn't comfort the heartbreaking parents who watch their children withdraw or experience depression and wrestle with gender issues and nor does it disqualify the sense of freedom felt by someone who is finally able to make the external transition into the gender that they believe they should have been born with. But neither does it take away the grief of an individual who makes the changes, perhaps even having complete surgical transition into their chosen gender, only to find that they are still deeply dissatisfied and broken on the inside. And though as followers of Christ, many of us will not agree with the principle of transgender identity. However, the truth is that we have a growing community of broken souls in our generation, young and old, desperately impacted by transgender issues and gender confusion. Even when we cannot fully understand how it must feel to wrestle with such fundamental issues regarding identity, the transgender community still needs God's unconditional love demonstrated through us just as with every single one of us someone who may be wrestling with gender dysphoria or identifies themselves as a trans man or trans woman still needs unconditional love acceptance and compassion and it's demonstrating this acceptance to those living in a homosexual or transgender lifestyle is a battle for many christians because I think that we as the church can sometimes wrestle with the Christian principle of hating the sin but loving the sinner. And it somehow seems super difficult to disconnect the sinner from the sin when it comes to homosexuality or someone who's transgender. Because somehow 
I think is a little easier when it comes to transgressions like lying or cheating or stealing and heterosexual fornication to be able to hate the sin but love the sinner. But in contrast, we sometimes find it really difficult to love the LGBT community without fear that we're endorsing their lifestyle. And I think there is this misconception that if we really love and embrace a gay person, that we're implying that we're okay with a gay lifestyle. Like, trust me, I have been there. But the truth is that when we choose to love someone, it should be irrespective of behavioral choices because this is how God loves each and every one of us unconditionally, despite our choices and behavior. And so I think as believers, we have to really grow in our acceptance of the LGBTQ community with unconditional love. Even if they choose to live a homosexual lifestyle, like this is what Christ-like agape love is. And actually, the hearts of the gay community will be far more open to the love of Christ if we as Christians demonstrated unconditional love. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that we compromise the truth of God and we endorse sexual sin in any way, the same way that we wouldn't do that for a straight person living in a lifestyle contrary to the Bible. But it does mean that we choose to love the LGBT community, even if they choose to remain in their lifestyle, even with the love of God in the mix. And in fact, there are countless gay Christians who sincerely love God and are desperately seeking deliverance and restoration in him. And at the same time, there are also gay Christians who wholeheartedly love God, but have remained in their gay lifestyle. I mean, there are gay priests and bishops in the Anglican church actively teaching the word of God. Like, what do we do with that? I mean, do we only love the LGBT community on the basis that they change their lifestyle? Because that would mean that love is conditional. It would mean that our love is only as genuine as their acceptance of Christ and their obedience. Do we only love the gay community with the purpose of delivering them from homosexuality or are we truly serious about leading a community to the love of Christ irrespective of their sexual orientation? And this question has certainly challenged me for many years. And of course, I'm so super sobered when the Bible states that anyone practicing homosexuality or sexual sin or getting drunk, stealing, slandering or swindling will not inherit the kingdom of God, which is what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. And so, of course, I don't want anyone who is practicing a homosexual lifestyle to know God's love, but not make it to heaven. But this scripture is not just a scary thought for someone in homosexuality. It's a scary, sobering thought for all of us. Because if anyone is going to be judged on this scripture, then we are all guilty in some way or another. Because sure, we may not be in a homosexual lifestyle or we may not be engaged in sexual sin, but we have all slandered and stolen and swindled in one way or another. And maybe we still do it without even realizing Now, of course, possessing the kingdom of God and receiving eternal life would be the ultimate victory. Yet I still find myself standing firm in my conviction that God delivers us from bondage first and foremost to bring us into his love. And so when push comes to shove, I simply believe that God seeks an intimate relationship with the gay community before he seeks their purity and even before he seeks their obedience. Because an encounter with God's love is first and foremost what we all need. And this is what I believe we must be willing to demonstrate to the LGBTQ community no matter what. But the crazy comforting thing is this, that anyone who truly does engage with the love of God will, by his grace, ultimately discover the truth and find profound freedom and begin to walk in true liberty. And so I'm so convinced that whoever we may be, gay or straight, man or woman, we cannot hide from God's love or his liberty if we truly give him our heart. And this is why as Christians, we must be willing to lovingly and truthfully disciple, counsel and nurture those that are looking for restoration 
but being set free from sexual sin can't be the condition upon which we offer our love. And I personally believe that our only debt to the LGBT community is to love them with the love of God, whether they choose to remain in their lifestyle or not. But we can be so sure of this. For those that do desire to change, they would certainly want to belong to a community of God lovers that truly loves, accepts and honors people just as they are and not a community that rejects people based upon their sexuality or gender choices or treats people like projects. And so as Christians, how can we consider ourselves any better than anyone else? Because our sins are no whiter than the LGBT community's sins. They're just different. And I love this powerful statement by Philip Yancey, who many of you will know, he's a renowned Christian author, And he says this when talking about his strong friendship with um, Mel White, who is a gay Christian. He says, on an issue like this, I try to start with what I'm absolutely sure of and work outwards. I'm sure of what my own attitude should be towards gays and lesbians. I should show love and grace. As one person told me, Christians get very angry toward other Christians who sin differently than they do. When people ask me, how can I possibly stay friends with a sinner like Mel? I respond by asking how Mel can possibly stay friends with a sinner like me. After all, Jesus had much to say about greed, hypocrisy, pride and lust. Sins I struggle with, but did not mention homosexuality. Even if I conclude that all homosexual behaviour is wrong, as many conservative Christians do, I'm still compelled to respond with love. And, you know, I also do want to say at this point that we're all just growing, we're all just learning. Like, may the body of Christ here on earth be just this big fat family carrying one another's burdens and accepting and embracing one another not deeming each other superior or you know far more spiritual than another person and just trusting that we all need help we've all got dysfunction we all need God's mercy and grace you know um and at this point I would also like to talk briefly about same-sex attractions because we live in a culture where same-sex attractions are a reality even in the church and though we might not usually address them we can't pretend that they don't exist and since I began to teach on the topic of sexuality I have personally encountered several Christians that have come to me for advice and help for the struggle of same-sex attractions and they felt confused and broken and self-condemned even though they have never pursued the attraction and so it's so important that we respond to such tender issues with compassion and gentleness and we disciple with God's uncompromising truth about sexuality and original identity but we embrace and value and affirm those that are struggling with this and of course we break off deception we uproot strongholds we pray for deliverance and healing and liberty but may we also be willing to lovingly help someone through a process of restoration whatever that might end up looking like or however long that might take because restoration will look different for different people For someone battling with same-sex attractions, of course, the hope would be that there would be complete deliverance in this area and that that attraction would go. But the truth is that some people may never get delivered from a same-sex attraction, even as a mature Christian who once may have been in a homosexual lifestyle. Yet, because their love for Christ far surpasses all other desires, they are still able to live out a life of consecration and purity before God. And this, I think, can bring great glory to God, even when someone may not seemingly be completely delivered from the attraction itself. And so I think it's important that we as the church don't box God into our own understanding of what we think freedom or breakthrough should look like in an individual's life, but actually trust that God knows how he wants to reveal his beautiful nature 
and attributes through each person's story of redemption. And I would also just like to talk about um, abuse as well, because sexual abuse is a major violation of God's purposes for sex. But the crazy explosion of pornography in our culture, as well as the like increased glamorization of aggressive sex in Hollywood films like Fifty Shades of Grey, it just increases sexual aggression and normalizes it. And even though countless women and men have experienced some form of sexual abuse in their lives, um, this is something that is rarely addressed in church, whether it's aggressive sexual behavior or outright abuse um, is something that really isn't spoken about. And so I do pray that we as a church can comfort people who have experienced sexual abuse and that we would also be willing to come alongside those who are experiencing sexual abuse in their marriages. Like I know that this is very grim stuff, guys, but I think far too often we want church to be this bed of roses, like full of joy and spiritual breakthrough, you know, like an advert on TV, yet these are very real issues that we as the church body need to confront and work through together, even if it means getting messy and even if it means patiently and sensitively helping to carry the heavy and uncomfortable load of being abused um, for someone that has had to go through that and also for the person who could potentially be the abuser like the perpetrator of sexual abuse who is also in vital need of God's compassion and God's mercy and forgiveness is available even for what we deem to be the most despised in our society you know the rapist or the abuser or even the paedophile and you know, so many times those that are caught up in such perversity were victims of perversion themselves. And I think we as the church must be proactively willing to break these cycles in the world around us. And I believe that we as the church are called to be God's mercy and his truth and love for even the most apparently despised sexual sinners. And you know, even when the repercussions of a particular sexual sin may be deemed worse than another, such as in the case of paedophilia, ultimately sexual sin is sexual sin. And I don't believe that we as the hands and feet of Jesus can simply pick and choose who we'll show compassion and mercy to, because mercy triumphs over judgment no matter what the sin is. And this is also why wholeness is available for anyone who has been involved in the abortion of a child, which is often seen as one of the most serious sins that a human can commit. But there is forgiveness even for the act of abortion, even multiple abortions. And if forgiveness was not enough of an undeserved blessing, there is also unfathomable restoration after an abortion available to us in Christ. And I myself am a recipient of such awe-inspiring restoration. Because as I'm sure many of you may have heard from previous podcasts that I actually aborted two babies before I became a Christian. And both of the times I thought abortion was my only way out and when I became a Christian several years later I immediately felt so convicted about these abortions and I was filled with remorse and I literally remember weeping like half the night just on my face on the floor and I felt God's mercy envelop me and I knew that I did not deserve it but I know that he touched me that night but I did not forgive myself and so subconsciously over literally the next 10 years, I would think about these two lives that I had taken in my reckless behavior. And I would at times find myself calculating how old they would be and wondering if I'm ever going to see them in heaven, hoping to see them in heaven. But then instantly I would be overcome with shame and fear because then I think, oh my gosh, if I see them in heaven, like what would they think of me? They're going to know that I was, you know, the one that actually aborted them. 
and I'd feel so much just grief at that thought. And then, you know, if I ever thought about having kids or if someone asked me if I wanted to have kids in my mind, I would just think I don't deserve to have kids because I already aborted two children. And so this would always be subconsciously happening at the back of my mind. And I didn't ask God to deal with any of that because I didn't really bring it before the Lord. But I love how God is unwilling to leave even a single stone unturned in our hearts and in his love and mercy he wants to pierce every hidden dark place in our soul with the radiance of his beautiful glory light and to bring healing and wholeness and this is what he tells us in Malachi 4 2 and so in his kind mercy God brought restoration to me in the most unexpected way. I was listening to a prophet who goes to heaven frequently. The Lord takes her there and that she just began to share how when she's in heaven she sees the children that have been miscarried or aborted and then she shared that aborted children don't miss their callings or misusing their gifts and that they are raised in heaven with Jesus, and that they're living in total bliss and fulfilling their purpose, and that they know who their parents are, and that they love them, and they forgive them, and that they're praying for them, and waiting to be reconciled with them one day in heaven. And then she also shared that if we wanted to, we could name the children that we had aborted, and that when we name a child who's in heaven, this becomes a name that they are then called, and they're aware that their earthly parents have named them this name. And they celebrate in heaven when they're named, and they also celebrate their parents' birthdays in heaven. Like, wow, as she was saying this stuff, like, I could not believe what I was hearing. And I spent the next few weeks just pondering in my heart everything that I had heard from her. And I began to think about the names that I'm going to give them both. And so um, a few days after that, I literally sat at my kitchen table and I wept before the Lord and I named these two precious little babes. And I just had this moment of divine exchange where I gave God all my guilt, all my shame, all my grief, you know, all my regret. And he just flooded me with his mercy. He flooded me with his kindness and just such a sense of restoration. And literally from that moment, I feel nothing but joy and expectation to know that I'm going to see these two babes in heaven and every bit of guilt and shame has just completely gone and it's all because of the incredible redemption of Jesus that he does make all things new even when we don't deserve it and so if you like me have had an abortion I don't know what your story might look like but I do know that Jesus can completely heal your heart just like he did mine and he can make you whole again so no matter what the circumstances of the abortion were whether you're the mother or the father involved or whether you force someone else to have an abortion like no matter how long ago how or why it happened whether you had the abortion as a non-believer or a believer none of it can separate you from the love of God and I'm not taking abortions lightly at all but there is simply no sin beyond the reach of God's grace. And I believe that the church is instrumental in reconciling the broken world to this glorious mercy of God. And I'm not condoning abortions, but the reality is that they are taking place every day. People in the church are also having abortions. For some, they see an abortion as the only viable solution for them. And as the church, what are we going to do when someone confides in us that they must have an abortion? Are we willing to get messy and be part of the solution? Will we offer other avenues? Will we provide help with adoption or find them a home for girls to be love during an unplanned pregnancy and obviously without replacing professional support will we help to educate society and demonstrate that there is another way to steward our sexuality will we have mentoring and discipling in place so that minds can be renewed and what if despite our counsel someone still believes abortion is the best option for them will we simply reject them will we condemn them will we judge them i pray we won't and in fact, on the contrary, I believe that we are called to love people even if they choose to sin. 
And for me, this was another place of deep wrestling for quite some time. And I had to ask myself just how much am I willing to love someone who seemingly chooses to lead a sinful lifestyle, especially given the fact that they may simply not know any better. And how much can I accept someone for who they are when in my eyes, who they are is not in line with their original God-given identity? Will I withhold my love? Will I withhold my blessings and my encouragement for them because they're not walking in biblical truth? And so is my blessing and my love, my counsel and encouragement only reserved for those who are godly or who might one day come into the kingdom? Or am I willing to love anyone and everyone irrespective of their choice to do the right thing? And am I willing to call out the beauty of God in someone despite the ugliness of what they apparently seem to be involved in in any given moment in time? And how quickly am I willing to remember that I once too walked in an identity contrary to who I was created to be? And the reality is that sometimes in loving people who are caught up in a life of sin or in a compromising life, all we may be able to do is simply speak original identity over that person and to lovingly and relationally share with them who they really are in their true original identity. And so sometimes as the church, that's all we're going to have the opportunity to do. Sometimes we're not going to be able to show people what we believe to be the right way. We're not going to see people make what we think are wise and godly decisions to line up with what we deem is best for them. Sometimes we're not going to be able to seal the deal for salvation and miraculously lead someone to God or witness people get delivered, become whole and get set free. But no matter what, we can choose to speak heaven's identity over every single person that we encounter, where we can call out who they really are in Christ and where we can trust that if we are willing to sow seeds of love and identity over that precious individual in that very moment, that God will send someone else further down the line to continue signposting them towards God and freedom. And so we simply cannot withhold speaking God's love over people because they may choose to have an abortion or continue fornicating or choose to continue in a homosexual lifestyle. And please do not misunderstand me. The aim is not to ignore the sin, but is to love in spite of the sin because this is how Christ loves us. And of course, we want people to come out of a sexually immoral lifestyle and to get totally set free. And we want to disciple them. And yes, we want to see them confess their sins and repent and take a 180 degree turn in the direction of victory and purpose and love. But ultimately, the only way I believe that anyone is ever going to truly be restored is when they encounter God's unconditional love and when they receive the revelation of who they are as image bearers of Christ. And for me, this really is the essence of restoration. And so I'm convinced that the church's role is to reconcile people to their original identity in God as lovers of God made in his perfect image, no matter what stage or process they may be in, even if they're still caught up in sexual sin. But as and when the broken and hurting in our care are reconciled to the love of God and do accept God's invitation for eternal life, I believe as Christians we are called to boldly and lovingly disciple people so that they can be set free and they can find restoration from every kind of sexual disorder in their lives and that they can be empowered to live a transformed life. Um, before I bring this podcast to a close, I really do want to invite people into salvation because everything that I've been teaching and everything that we've been talking about and the stories that might have been shared and the convictions and the journeys and just the incredible breakthroughs, they are all because of Jesus. He's the only one who can truly love us and teach us about love, who can make us whole, who can mend us, liberate us, complete us and give us true joy and purpose like deep in our soul and so he's the reason that we all exist and some of you who are listening may have been existing without him and you might be listening to this podcast and hoping for freedom and wholeness with sexuality but I'm telling you it's just not possible outside of an intimate relationship with Jesus you know, and this is why he came to earth to restore intimacy between us and God. And he gave his life and he shed his blood because relationship with us was everything to him. 
And, you know, when it comes to sexuality, the very dynamic of sex and intimacy is built upon the intimacy that God has designed for us to have with him. And so if you don't have an experience of that or you once had it, but your heart has been distant, then I'm going to pray right now and invite you to say yes to Jesus and surrender your life to him inviting him into your heart, into your world, into your struggles, your loneliness, your dreams, your desires, your disappointments, like the whole nine yards of your existence, and inviting you to trust him to make all things new. And so if this resonates with you, if your heart is moved by this, then I'm just going to ask you to repeat this prayer. Beautiful Father, thank you that because you so dearly cherished us that you sent your only begotten son Jesus to die in our place so that we would be forgiven of all our sins and that we would have eternal life and know you and your precious beautiful son Jesus intimately and so I thank you for forgiving all my sins I say yes to your free gift of eternal life and I invite you into my heart and I say yes to knowing you intimately and to be fully known by you and to receiving your unconditional love. I believe that you not only died for me, but that you rose again, and that you are alive right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus. And I thank you for your resurrection power in my life, making me brand new. Please come and live in my heart, guide me, complete me, fill me, and make me yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, and now I'm just going to pray a prayer of restoration that actually is found in my book, should you want to get a copy. And in fact, everything that I've taught, the majority of it has come from the book. And a lot of today's episode is literally verbatim from the book. Um, but this is a prayer for restoration that you can pray. So here goes. Father God, thank you that you are love. Thank you that you love me unconditionally and that you see all my brokenness. I come to you, Lord. I confess my sin and bring my pain, shame and brokenness before you. Only you can cleanse me and purify me. Only you can heal me and bind up my inner wounds. Wounds that are hidden in my soul. Wounds that seem so permanent. But today I receive complete restoration in you. I let go of all the pain, the hurt, the abuse, the shame, the condemnation and self-loathing. I forgive myself and forgive those that have hurt me. I bring the memories of my sexual past and lay them at the altar. I cast every weight and burden of my past onto you and I refuse to hold on to any of it. I ask you to consume my sexual history with your fire and restore my soul with your peace, love and wholeness. Restore to me my virginity. Restore to me my innocence. May everything that has been stolen from me be restored to me. Thank you for complete wholeness. Thank you for your freedom. Thank you that whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I receive your love and supernatural liberty, Lord, and I thank you that my light will appear like the dawn and my recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before me and your glory will be my rear guard, as it says in Isaiah 58, 8. Thank you for the empowerment to walk in victory. Thank you for making me a new creation. Holy Spirit, please help me to reject every single thing that is not perfect love, creating me a pure heart and a steadfast spirit to sustain me in the face of temptation. Help me to live a life of power and radical love in you. Thank you that you remove all the sorrow associated with my sexual past and fill me with your joy and hope. Reveal more of your love to me. Remove all my fears. Help me to fully discover my original identity and purpose in you as an image bearer of God. Thank you for the supernatural capacity, Lord, to see myself and others through the lens of your love as image bearers of Christ. Thank you that I am fully known by you and that I compassionately seek to know you in return all of my days. Rewire my desires today so that I can experience the deepest widest, highest, greatest love ever, so that I can enjoy all that I've been created for. Let my heart be a blank canvas for you to paint your perfect love upon. I'm your masterpiece and I give you permission to capture the deepest parts of my heart and rewrite my history. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen.
Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. All related social media handles and links can be found in the notes section. If you did enjoy today's episode, then please do feel free to share it and do subscribe to the podcast if you want to know when a new episode is heading your way. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do that via Instagram or Facebook, or you can head over to livinginlight.co.uk. I cannot wait to be with you guys again, and thank you so much for listening to the Living in Light podcast. Because you're beautiful, so